Here's a load of things I don't know. I don't know what your big questions are. Um, I don't know what answers you would have given to those questions there. I don't know which of the questions you relate to most. I don't know lots of things um, about you. I don't know your story. I don't know your background. I don't know your thoughts, your hopes, your dreams, your fears. I, you know, I don't know lots <laughs> this morning. But I do know a couple of things. I do know that you have questions. Um, because you're a human being, most of you, it seems, and human beings have big questions, don't they? It's not merely kind of a subsection of society that are religious, that have questions. Human beings have questions and always have and always will. And I think perhaps the biggest question that any human being, or at least ones that I've met, um, ask is the theme that we're looking at today, which is how could a loving God, why would a loving God if he, she, or they existed, um, why would they allow so much pain and suffering in the world? Um, now, I've been given the kind of easy one to start off the series, uh, obviously, yeah, so we're going to be fine, it's all good. Um, but as we explore together this morning, uh, I just want to say a few things as I start. Um, I really hope that this morning won't feel heavy uh, unnecessarily, because kind of, who needs that? Uh, you know, there's enough heavy things going on in the world. I don't want it to be heavy, okay? Um, but having said that, I do want to just tip you off that I'm not going to try and speak today, and I'm, I'm a youth worker um, in my day job, and so normally I do try and do this, but I'm not going to do this today. I'm not going to speak with any sense of jokiness or flippancy about this topic as well, because although it's a very kind of interesting, out there, philosophical ooh, question, and we want to tackle it in that way, it's also, I'm aware, a very real question for us as human beings, and it's not so much an out there question as a, an in here question as well. And I'm aware that there will be people in this room who are, who are very genuinely familiar with, with suffering. And so I'm not going to try and be heavy, but I'm also going to try and tackle it with the kind of thoughtfulness and hopefully sensitivity that it deserves, I think. Is that all right? Are you with me on that? We're good? Great. Then you can totally go for it in the Q&A and all sensitivity can go out the window if you want. That's fine. That's up to you. Um, so let's get into it then. The problem of pain, as uh, C.S. Lewis called it. And I think no one's uh, summarized in recent years the problem of pain better than Stephen Fry, the national treasure, Stephen Fry. We love Stephen Fry. Um, and I don't know if you saw um, this a few years ago, but uh, there was this video that went viral on YouTube, which was him being interviewed by uh, a TV presenter in Ireland. And uh, it was a religious TV program and a religious TV presenter. And the religious TV presenter thought that he was about to totally show up Stephen Fry. And he said, you don't believe in God. But when you get to heaven and you meet God, then what are you going to say? huh?" And it's like, whoa, go on, presenter. Well done. And Stephen Fry goes on this sort of three or four minute, beautifully sort of English eloquent rant um, which I think sums up what a lot of us feel. He says, the, just the first sentence, he says, in response to what would you say to God, uh, Stephen Fry says, I'd say bone cancer in children, what's that about, is his response. And in nine words, I think he sums up really the, the history of human beings asking that question. Uh, bone cancer in children, what's that about? And he's right, isn't he? And uh, I don't know how you feel when people are singing uh, songs about God, but it, where is this God? <laughs> or at least a God of love that the Bible claims exists. Where is he? Now, I don't know what you do when you get home from work, um, if you work. 
Um, I, being an incredibly romantic and extremely edgy, uh, unpredictable individual, um, get home and I ask my wife, Ruth, uh, this question, Ruth, how was your day? Wow, I know, we didn't see that coming. Uh, and when I say, Ruth, how was your day? Um, it leads to some fun conversations, because as I say, I'm a youth worker, uh, I also do some of the communications work for the church. So for me, your average day is kind of went for a milkshake with a teenager, made some pictures for Instagram, it was really fun, thanks. What about you? Um, and then we get into a slightly different sort of conversation, because Ruth is a pediatric doctor, and uh, it's a children's doctor, and you realize that the question we're asking today is not just a Stephen Fry on a religious TV show question. Um, it's a question that hits kind of real people in the real world. So I asked her this week, without telling her um, the Stephen Fry quote, I said, Ruth, what's been the hardest thing about your time as a doctor? And without missing a beat, she goes, the time I spent on the cancer unit in the children's hospital in the city center. And child cancer has roughly an 80% survival rate, which is extraordinarily high. But Ruth was working with the 20% every day. And so she feels this question. And this is not just academic, is it? She's looked in the eyes of this question. She's actually held the hands of this question. And so I don't want to be flippant. I want to really think about this because it's very important to us, isn't it? It's not just a question for Stephen Fry or for doctors. It's for all of us, for youth workers, young, old, Christian, atheist, Buddhist, agnostic, I don't know whatist you are, but it's not just a Christian question, it's a human question, isn't it? Now, um, that being said, um, just kind of as we get rolling, I don't want to be bleak for the sake of it, um, I don't want to be accused of being a pessimist, something I'm accused uh, of quite a lot by those who know me, um, so I want to be balanced just as we begin, and I want to say that when we look around the world, I'm sure you will agree with this, that there are real genuine moments of joy and beauty in our world as well, aren't there? Uh, perhaps it's just me, but I think there are moments of life that if we could drink them, uh, bottle them and drink them in forever, we would. Just uh, the sweetest moments. Think of them for you. What are they? What are, what are, your, what are your stellar moments? Uh, for me, holding uh, my, my daughter uh, just after she'd been born, um, and it just felt like I just had smelling salts thrown into my face. Just suddenly, just, oh, just what is happening in my head and heart? And just this incredible moment. And then she just pooed everywhere at that moment, which was disgusting. <laughs> and she's done that quite a lot since. But the initial thing was just incredible, just amazing. There have been some good moments since too. Uh, Wolves winning the playoff final in Cardiff. Uh, just, wow, it doesn't get any better for me. Uh, the joy of a long meal that kind of runs into the evening. Uh, good food, good wine, good ale, uh, good Diet Coke, whatever it is for you. Um, curling up with a good book uh, on a winter's day. It's beautiful moments, aren't there? The world is, is thoroughly infused with beauty, um, and that's real. And uh, yet, the opposite is, is just as true, isn't it? And we don't want to be pessimists, but we must be in life realists. And suffering this is a great, profound moment for you. Ready? Suffering is real, okay? And I want you to clock that we said that this morning, because sometimes uh, religions can kind of try and wish away the problem of suffering, by, oh, it's not so bad, you know, there are flowers on the hills and it's all good, isn't it? Um, or some Eastern religions particularly say that suffering's actually just an illusion. If you were really enlightened, you'd see that there's nothing really wrong, really, is there? And I want to go on record as we start saying that is not true. 
Um, if that's your, your worldview, I want to engage with you. But I believe strongly that that's not true. Suffering is real. Uh, front page news of hurricanes recently, uh, relationship breakdown, miscarriages, uh, losing a relative, or um, something that's particularly uh, something I'm really interested in, um, what Winston Churchill called the black dog of depression, that one in six of us in the room will experience before the end of the year. Uh, if we were mostly students, it would be one in four of us. The, the problem of pain is real, isn't it? So where is God? Uh, Nietzsche, a uh, kind of cleverer chap than I, who was very much not uh, a Christian, very much an atheist. Uh, Nietzsche said this, and I think this is, this is very powerful. He said, perhaps the only excuse for God is that he doesn't exist with all that going on in the world. Now, um, before we kind of throw God out, which I think at this point is very, very tempting to do, uh, if I'm honest, before we do that, I want to just do three things this morning before we hear a, a personal story and then throw it open to questions. Um, I want to do three things. What I want to do is explore, first of all, the no God story. Um, explore what the universe is like if we throw God out. I then quickly want to explore the Christian story, kind of the Christian version of events. Uh, and then I want to finish by asking, what is God like? Uh, and I'll kind of show you why all of those are relevant, hopefully, before we're done in a few minutes' time. So let's go for number one, just to start with. Let's, let's go with Nietzsche. Let's go with our, our guts and our emotions and where, if we read the newspaper, where we're naturally taken, which is that there can't be a God of love. Let's go there, and I just want to explore it with you, if that's okay. Now, what I want to ask is, does taking God out of the equation solve the problem of pain? You might say, well, yes. You might not be sure. Let's just think about it. On a really obvious level, if I now reveal, ready, that there isn't a God, okay? We just, let's take that as fact. There isn't a God. Has that solved the problem of pain? Well, on one level, it hasn't at all, has it? So Grenfell still happened. It did. Like, we, we know it did. And that was horrible. And so we haven't solved it. Hurricane Irma still happened. One in six of us in this room will still face depression before the end of this calendar year. That will still happen. And so removing God, just on a really obvious level to start with, doesn't rem re remove the problem of pain, does it? It might change our questions, but it doesn't solve our problem here. Let's just go a little bit deeper, though. Think about it with me like this. Um, what is the story of the universe if there is no God? Just think about that for a second. What is the story, the narrative, the, the grand vision of the universe if there is no God? And this is not me kind of critiquing this idea. Uh, this is just me trying to explain it. Uh, the story of the universe is essentially this, isn't it? That there was nothing, and then there was a bang, and then things became and evolved, and things became other things and other things, and we're sort of in the middle of that. And then at some point in the future, there'll be a bang, and then there'll be nothing, is approximately, kind of with some tweaks, but approximately the story of the universe if there is no God. And you might say, yes, that's exactly what I believe. Thank you for articulating it. You're most welcome. Um, but essentially, the story of the universe with no God is nothing, bang, stuff, bang, nothing. And uh, what I want to show you just for a second is that there's some things gained in our problem of pain, by having that as your story, but we lose a lot as well 
if that's true. Let me show you what I mean. What we, um, what we gain is we don't ever, ever again have to ask the question, why does God allow suffering? Because there isn't a God. <laughs> so it's fine, right? Sorted. But just listen to a few quotes from atheism's leading lights. These are not my words. These are kind of the words of some of the most sort of uh, front and center voices in atheism today. Um, and just have a little explore with me about what the universe is like if there's no God. First of all, listen to Richard Dawkins, um, a very clever man. Um, and uh, my PowerPoint is slightly too large, my bad. Why does God allow that? Um, so let's listen to Richard Dawkins. Um, he says this about the universe. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless, and that word there is indifference, which kind of just means just a a shrug, a a, a meh, as the youth would say. Just an, an indifference. That's what the universe is like. No purpose, you see. No No evil, do you see? No good, do you see? Stephen Hawking, um, a genius, says this about humanity. He says, the human race is a chemical scum on a moderate-sized planet. Because if the story of the universe is nothing, bang, stuff, bang, nothing, then he's kind of right, isn't he? And I'm not saying every atheist thinks this or that we live like this, but if you zoom out far enough, that's uh, Stephen Hawking's view. Uh, Claire Rayner um, said this about humanity. We are absolutely insignificant, a cosmic joke. And Christopher Hitchens on the question of suffering. Um, whilst experiencing um, terminal cancer, actually, um, said this. To the dumb question, why me? The cosmos barely bothers to return the reply, why not? And as I say, he actually died of cancer not so long ago. Um, But he says, not me, he says that to ask why is a dumb question because of the story of the no-God universe. And now that might be true, okay, this morning. That might very well be true. And it looks, to be honest, where we've got to so far, like it is true. Um, And we don't want to make the mistake of rejecting it because it sounds bleak and it isn't cheerful, okay? It might be true. But I want you to see that if we remove God, you gain, oh, that's why suffering happens. There's no God. But what you lose is actually, you lose really the expectation that it would ever have been any different. Of course there's suffering. Uh, You lose the dignity of the human beings who we cry out for when there's suffering happening to them because they're just a joke anyway. Just slime plus time, as one of my friends used to say to me. And so what you lose is actually quite large if you take God out of the equation. Now, that's what happened to me um, personally when I was wrestling with this question. I was um, 18, 19, trying to think I was very enlightened, going off on my gap year um, to Thailand and traveling and finding myself. And it was all very um, middle class and, and, and great. and had a great time. Um, but my friend Steve, who's a Christian, I wasn't at the time. Um, I was uh, crying with him, actually. We were in Thailand and... Uh, as white English teenagers do, they go overseas and realize that the real world is slightly harder than their world has been, and they cry and um, stuff. And that's what I was doing. I was having that sort of moment where I realized there was this awful stuff going on before me in the world. And Steve, um, very sensitively, um, put his arm around me and said, mate, why do you care so much? I thought we were just slime plus time. 
And at that moment, I didn't become a Christian, but it made me realize that what I was saying I believed about the world wasn't lining up with my experience of the world. There was a disconnect because I cared about these people. I cared about these kids that were suffering in this way. I wasn't a Christian, but I cared because I felt they were valuable. And then what he did was he helped me explore the Christian story. So that's what I want to do just for a second, is explore the Christian story. Let's suspend uh, disbelief for a moment. Let's go into fairy tale land. Let's just pretend that Christianity might be true. Let's just pretend for a second. Um, and let me tell you the Christian story briefly. The Christian story is in the beginning was not nothing, but was a, a God of love. A Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, perfectly loving one another, this sort of relational loving God forever. And that God so loved that he didn't want to keep it to himself, but he, he sort of spilled out and created a universe and butterflies and bumblebees and you and me and made everything. And he made us to know pure joy free from all suffering in a wonderful world. That's the Christian story. And then what happens is inexplicably humanity, we, me, uh, we turn away from that God. And in that moment, as we kind of go, I'm not so bothered, thanks. What happens is it's as if the plug comes out of the power source of everything. And as humanity turns away from God, it's kind of like the lights go down a bit. There's this kind of fall. And almost the world and human life and relationships and creation almost becomes like, a, I don't know if you've ever been to like a ruined castle that once looked mighty and strong and beautiful, but now it's kind of got moss growing on it and it's crumbling a bit. That's the Christian narrative of the world. It was made to be wonderful and beautiful, but it's now this sort of glorious ruin. And at the end of time, not bang, nothing, but, I don't know, there might be a bang, I don't know, but uh, the, the God of love will come back to the world and we'll kind of restore it, restore the ruin, restore the castle. We'll build it back. We'll make, we'll clean it off. We'll make it shine and be everything it could ever have been. This HD, technicolor, full, vibrant world that was everything it was born to be. That's the Christian story, okay? It was made to be like that. It isn't now, but it will be once more. That's the Christian narrative. And you might say, right, pie in the sky, mate. That is, <laughs> look around us. Look at the world. You say HD Technicolor. But here's the key, and I really want you to get this. In the meantime, in the sort of stuff bit of the story in Christianity, the Bible predicts that our experience as human beings will be summed up by this word, the word groaning. That's what the Bible predicts will is what it's like to be a human being in the Christian story. It says, for we know that the whole creation even has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I'm not going to go into detail about childbirth, but this idea that there's pain now, there's there's real pain now. I, I mean I'm sure it isn't that bad for childbirth, yeah? Uh, uh sorry, 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 sorry. But there's this real experience now that it is absolutely it's not an illusion. <laughs> It flipping hurts, but coming, coming is a moment that will make it all worth it. That's the Christian story. Yearning, groaning, that's what it feels like if Christianity is true. To be a human being, yearning for what might have been, looking at the glorious ruin 
and going, oh, I want it to not be like this. And that's what it feels like if Christianity is true. And Richard Dawkins says, blind, pitiless indifference. And we have not answered every question about suffering at this point. But I want to ask you this question. Which story do you feel like you're living in? Just think about the joys of life that you drink in every day. Those moments, those stellar moments. Me holding grace. Wolves winning the playoffs. Think about those headlines, those children that Ruth sees on the cancer ward. Which story do you feel like you're living in? Indifference or groaning that it would be better? And I want to say that to me, I feel like I'm living in groaning, not shrugging. He's asking why pain and suffering happens and seeing all this stuff in the newspaper and wanting it to not be like this. Is that a dumb thing? Is that a dumb thing? Or could it be that the very fact that you and I rage against the wrong in the world is actually a huge signpost telling us it was never meant to be like this. It was never meant to be like this. You're right if you feel it was never meant to be like this. Could it be that the fact that we read our newspapers and go, what, is a signpost to those people are valuable, they're not slime plus time, and you're right to cry out for them. And Jesus Christ comes into the world, and you know one of the things he yells out to God? Why? Just as he's dying. He yells out why, and thus brings a great dignity to anyone who's ever yelled why. It's not a dumb question. You're quite right to ask it, actually. But just as we kind of wrap up before we get to an amazing personal story in a few moments, um, I want to come to the crescendo of the problem. Because if we've shown that atheism actually is, it's not got all the answers on this question. It just has different questions, right? And if we've shown that atheism actually takes away some of our basis for even shouting about suffering, the question we haven't answered is this. If there is a God then, and you might be persuaded that in theory he might therefore exist, what on earth is he like? to allow, as Stephen Fry said, well, all that stuff that's going on. What is his character? What is God like to allow the suffering in the world? Now, from Stephen Fry, the sublime, to Joey Barton, the ridiculous, um, who will come uh, in a moment, uh, any moment now. Joey Barton will arrive. Um, He will, I promise you, he's coming. Um, Joey, there he is. Uh, From the sublime to the very ridiculous. Joey Barton's a footballer. If you don't know Joey Barton, um, then don't worry. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother. He's an interesting character. He's an interesting footballer. Um, and football fans will know why I'm saying that. Um, and Joey Barton is a very intelligent guy, um, very interesting guy, um, gets a lot of red cards and it's quite entertaining. Um, but he tweeted rightly, uh, when watching some of the stuff that was going on in the Syrian refugee crisis, um, he tweeted this, how can a God stand by and watch this? And you see what that question is. It's not a question of, is there a God? It's how can that God let this happen, right? It's a, it's a character of God question that he's asking. And uh, that's what I want to do just as we finish, is I want to ask, what is God like? Uh, now, I've got some images coming up. I don't know what would happen if you uh, imagined God. What does God look like? Imagine it, just quickly. Imagine God. There we go. Great. Did you imagine something kind of like that? 
um, maybe kind of old male, white, grey. Um, that's kind of how a lot of uh, English culture has, has said what God looks like. Uh, maybe not this, but maybe this, similar vibe. Um, or maybe not this, but this. Okay, so this is kind of a famous painting, the creation of Adam. And, uh, and I think what that shows is a kind of a strong God, very strong, very muscly, uh, lots of friends near him. Um, but what it shows is a God that is so barely in touch with reality, barely in touch with the world, kind of real world down here, suffering, pain, angst. God, oh, he's just leaning in and he's strong and he's fine, but he's just leaning in. How can a God stand by and watch this? I think that painting kind of pictures that. But I want to ask this question. What if God doesn't look like that, but looks more like uh, this? Because Joey Barton asks, how can a God stand by and watch? And the Christian response is, he can't. And he didn't. And he wouldn't. You see, the Christian claim is that unlike any God that we've heard of, or any kind of white male beardy figure that you've seen in your head, Christianity says that the God at the center of the universe didn't stay far off but willingly stepped into the world and not to deny the pains of the world, but to, and not to say dumb question, but to actually suffer himself. And we know the story, don't we, of Jesus kind of dying on the cross, Easter, Good Friday, uh, strange Saturday, Easter Sunday. And some of the implications of this man dying are many, um, but I think the most relevant implication for us this morning, and I use this language really deliberately and carefully, is that God has suffered in the person of Jesus on the cross. God has suffered. God, barely in touch with the world. No, no, no. In Jesus, God has suffered. He's felt pain. He has shed tears. He's shed shed blood. He's been bruised. He's been betrayed. He's been lied about. And that changes everything for me. Um, It's not going to come up on the screen, but a theologian called John Stott um, put it like this. I think this is fantastic. He said... I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. The only God I believe in is the one Nietzsche, as we've heard, ridiculed as God on the cross. How pathetic, how weak that would be. Stock carries on. He says, in the real world of pain, how could anyone worship a God who was immune to it? Jesus is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. And so the story of the Bible is not the story of a far-off God, but one who suffers alongside us. And what I saw when I was 19, and what I think Stephen Fry has seen, and what I reckon Joey Barton, and all these people we've talked about, and what I potentially think maybe you might feel as well, is that I cannot stomach a God on a cloud, just far away. But Christianity doesn't present that God. Christianity presents a God on a cross, who has known what it's like to suffer. And that doesn't answer all our questions about how individual bits of suffering could happen, but I think it tells us what the reason isn't. If God would do that, then the reason isn't that he doesn't love us, because he's shown that he does. Actions are louder than words, aren't they? He's demonstrated his character. And you say, uh, just as I kind of literally wrap up, you say, Jesus' suffering is is very nice, (laughs) but it doesn't help me in my suffering. 
So if I'm in a canal and I'm drowning and I'm flailing, and it's a very deep, deep canal, and I'm drowning away, and Jesus, God bless him, jumps in the canal and dies too, but 40 yards up the canal, and we both suffer, that doesn't hugely help. It's maybe nice, but it's stupid maybe as well. <laughs> like, what is he doing? And the claim of Christianity is not simply that he jumps in and suffers, but that he beats it and rises from suffering. And that in him, we get a little foretaste of the end of the story where kind of a worked example that pain and suffering will cease one day if you stick with Jesus. He shows it. He doesn't just say it. He shows it. Look, I'm up. I'm out of the grave. I'm new again. And all crying and all death and all pain can genuinely go. Look, it can. That's what Jesus says when he rises. And that's why the end of the Bible um, says this. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, look, listen up. The, The dwelling place of God is now with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And that's the Christian story, and that's the Christian response to suffering. It doesn't answer every question. But I hope it shows you that atheism doesn't have all the answers, that the Christian story kind of feels more like what we're living, and Jesus doesn't stay far away. He does come and do something about it, and he offers you an eternity free from suffering.